Have you checked out VanillaSoft? It's a sales engagement platform, but what does that mean, right? Well, it means that you can stop your sales reps from cherry picking leads. It means they'll make more than just two or three contact attempts. It means you could potentially triple your sales pipeline. Check it out at VanillaSoft.com. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am excited to get the next guest on the show. I have a lot of questions for this individual and we're gonna learn a ton, so I'm excited. Mr. Bobby Narang, co-founder and VP of sales of OpenSense. How are you doing today, sir? Doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. All right, man. Thank you for coming on. And if you're not familiar, OpenSense used to be called SenderGen. So that's, that's right. you may have stumbled upon them in the past. But Bobby, how did you, you know, get to co-founding this company and VP of sales? Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about your journey. Yeah, totally. So... I am, what is it, 2020 now. So I have been in, in my sales career for the last 11 years or so. So I went to school in Boston. I got a gig with a company called Alpha 411 based out of New York City, which within about a year or so of my having joined there, rebranded to Yext, which is a company I think many people are probably familiar with based out of New York. They went public a couple of years ago, but basically cut my teeth in sales by having a glorified telemarketing role where I had a responsibility to basically cold call between 100 and 150 customers a day. A great day was getting three credit cards over the phone, basically one call close type opportunities. But you know, this is way before I think modern sort of SaaS sales roles were, were kind of in vogue. So think of it as sort of like the SDR function before there was an SDR function, but with sort of a closing responsibility. So Cut my teeth in, in that role and at that company. Transitioned to a company called Intralinks, SaaS cloud host, secure cloud hosted solution to help facilitate M&A transactions. Basically, think of it as almost like a super secure box or Dropbox and very prominent and prevalent within the banking community, legal community in New York City. We had a really nice niche in the M&A space. And I worked there for a number of years and it was kind of like a dream sales job for a guy in his mid-20s living in New York City. I had a, an expense account and I had a group of potential clients that enjoyed many of the same things I did. Uh, eating, drinking, enjoying the Knicks and Rangers, all of the fun stuff that I got to sort of experience while building relationships and ultimately closing deals. And I found myself in a position probably around 26 or 27 or so where, you know, I I had a great job. I met my now wife, had a great situation at this company. It was fairly lucrative, but still was yearning for a little bit more. I think, you know, when I joined Yext, I was employee number 15 or 16. I I had a chance to kind of see what it was like to be a part of something in an early stage. And even at that point in my career, I felt a degree of ownership and, and felt like I was really sort of creating and adding value for that company. And I found that given sort of my skill set and some of the things that I was good at, that I could be a valuable asset in sort of helping to take an idea from conception to sort of making it reality. And I wanted to have the opportunity to kind of bring my skill set to an opportunity like that. And it's funny how things work sometimes, just stars aligned. I got a call from a college roommate, old college roommate of mine who introduced me to Amith, co-founder, CEO of OpenSense. And, you know, within my first conversation with Amith, kind of knew that's, that's who I wanted to work with. And within about six months, I basically quit my job, packed my life into two suitcases, left my 
girlfriend, now wife behind and basically just took the plunge and didn't really feel too nervous about that necessarily. I think, you know, one of the beautiful things about being a salesperson, particularly if you have any bit of a track record, is that you kind of have a professional safety net. You know, if, if all things fail, I can sell. And if I can sell, there's generally going to be opportunities for me, you know, in various fields. So it kind of made that transition or that decision kind of diminish the risk to some extent for me. But yeah, so basically took the plunge, moved out to the West Coast, which was awesome. Great sort of culture shock, but I think the right type of culture shock for me after having lived and breathed New York City for you know six or seven years or so. But yeah, so that was back in 2013. And, you know, we walked into a situation where we had nothing. I mean, we had, we had product, we had, we had a very sort of basic rudimentary technology. We did not have any customers, we didn't have users. So that's sort of what I walked into. And, and it's kind of just been, I don't want to call it a grind, because I think grind has a negative connotation. But it's been a challenge that we've worked on together basically every day since. So you had this excellent background. So I want to dig in a little bit. So you had all this great experience and you had an opportunity. You had the confidence because you knew how to sell. And Mm -hmm. so there was, in your mind, it wasn't enough risk. But what was it like to go from, you know, having all this opportunity? I mean, you're at the center of the universe in New York City and, you know, great friends and and a great career and then go, you know what? I'm going to go, I'm going West, you know, you're like a 49er, you know, you know, what was that going through your head at that point? It's a good question. I think really, David, in my career and in my life, I think there is sort of a, a pretext that I think is important to kind of understand about me personally. And really what it is, it's, it's this idea of opportunity. And I think a part of my maturation as a professional, but as a human being as well, is really kind of understanding what it means when opportunity presents itself and that we as professionals and as human beings need to really kind of identify them and, and take advantage of them. I think, again, this is just very personal for me. It's, you know, I feel very blessed with some of the talents that you know, I have and some of the opportunities that have been presented to me over time. But I'm also, also sort of going through this understanding at the time at 26 or 27 that maybe you know, there were times that I hadn't really maximized the potential of certain opportunities to that point in my, in my career. Dare I say there was, there was certain elements of potentially regret for not having really maximized opportunity. And I think as a part of my maturation, both as a professional and as a human being, it's kind of understanding that when opportunity presents itself, and when you know you have you have all of this potential, you can't just let it remain potential. And so, if you could have asked me six months before I met Ameth what my ideal opportunity would be, it would have fit almost precisely to the mold of that which I was presented with, just because the stars aligned. And so, when something like that happens, and, and I had a chance, you know, I was presented with that opportunity. It's not just about sort of knocking out of the park and building a great business. Absolutely, that's that's how you're materially going to take advantage of the opportunity. But really, for me personally, is it an opportunity to kind of take a challenge and not quit, not give up, and do whatever it takes to be successful. That's, I mean, it's it goes beyond sort of, you know, the money and then you know the role and this and that. Really, what it is, it's it's a chance to do something that I can look back and be really proud of. And so. I think it's, 
you know, again, there's an element of confidence about it because ultimately I think, you know, you have to be confident what your abilities are. But for me personally, it was a chance to feel better about myself in having taken an opportunity, you know, worked my behind off and make something of myself. So I don't know. It's very la-di-da, I'm sure, but that's, <laughs> that's, sort of my, that's sort of been my mindset is that this is something that, you know, it doesn't come around that often. When it does come around, you got to really take advantage of it and do whatever it takes. And that's a mindset I still have today. You got to go for it. And so, you know, you're in your comfort zone, right? I mean, because you have this great job and all the, you know, all these awesome relationships, probably you're in your comfort zone and then you see this amazing opportunity mm-hmm. and you've got the confidence because you know that you can sell, but you know, how were you able to go from probably making really good money and having everything all worked out, you had your girlfriend, everything was great to, you know, probably a huge pay cut, if not a complete pay cut, like, like yeah. you're yeah. living off savings probably. I mean, yeah. I bet that there's a lot of people out there that are sitting there. They're like, okay, I'm not super challenged in my job. I'm not like living to my full potential every day, but I'm making pretty good money and I got all everything dialed in. So I'm not just going to chuck it and like yeah. start a company. Yeah. Well, certainly, I mean, it's definitely a change of perspective. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I remember taking paychecks to the bank and buying gifts for, for my girlfriend and myself that you know, I had no business doing to, you know, being pretty meager. I remember when I first moved here, I said, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. I had done all these things to kind of cut back on my expenses and really kind of keep things tight. I was living off of savings. And one thing I did do was I did buy like a used Vespa just to get around town, just seven, 800 bucks. Just, it just seemed like a good thing to have in San Francisco. And I remember within the first month of owning that thing, I parked on, what is it, Bush Street during street cleaning. And sure enough, that thing got towed. And I had to pay a parking ticket on top of it. And I remember sitting on a stoop of an apartment building, realizing what had happened and almost on the verge of tears. Just like all of this work I had done to kind of like limit the expenses. And, and all of a sudden, this stupid mistake just cost me like, you know, a budget or whatever. But, you know, I got to be honest, it's just one of those things I think like, we're all sort of products of circumstance and environment to some extent. And my circumstance was such that, you know, I didn't have sort of a lot of dependencies on me, like my girlfriend, not wife, right? My, I didn't have kids. I didn't have a mortgage. Come on. I mean, if we're being honest, like you can live on, on ramen and this and that, not to suggest that I did, I wasn't, I was eating fine. Right. But, but I think like there, there wasn't a whole lot of consideration really for what if, and again, that's a product of circumstance. I was able to, to make that money to basically in my previous role to fund myself for a given a period of time until we received some funding and, and were able to take some salary. But to be honest, outside of, I mean, there was definitely some curbing of behavior that probably was just getting a little bit out of hand to some extent while living in New York. Um, that frankly, <laughs> I mean, it was good for you. <laughs> it, was, it was good for me, both. I mean, truly, like I became healthier physically, yeah. emotionally, like just, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's almost like I do not want to suggest by any means this has anything to do with, with a monastery or monastic approach, like I'm a monk or something. But absolutely, you diminish some of those material dependencies and all of a sudden, you know, you're able to attain a little bit of clarity. That sounds so full of it. So feel free to edit that out. But <laughs> <laughs> No way, man. That's a good stuff. Truly, no. though, I mean, you know, there is value in simplicity and there's value in sort of traveling light. And so when your whole life is in two suitcases, you know, that's really kind of all you need to worry about. Yeah. And I mean, you made a good point. If you're out there listening, if you're younger and you don't have as many dependencies, 
then yeah. it's not that it's easier, but it's like the calculus is a little bit more simplistic, totally. right? Then if you're 40 and you've got three kids, four mortgages and six mm-hmm. car payments, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. Absolutely. So, yeah. so, okay. So, so then, I mean, and the, the other thing I want to ask about is you met Amith. I want to make sure I'm yeah. saying it right. And what was it that said to you, okay, this market, this product, this person, I'm yeah. ready to pack my suitcases and move across the country. I'll never forget it because it, it was so obvious in the first conversation I had and, and was reinforced in subsequent conversations I had alongside him with you know potential advisors, investors, so on and so forth. I still remember seeing the initial pitch deck. And I mean, we're called OpenSense now. We were called SenderGen before. The initial name of the company I joined was called Robotics. Okay, believe it or not. All right. And I can still ima- I can still remember the logo the logo. Like the B and the O in Robotics had eyeballs in them and a smiley face underneath. It was it was kind of a weird sort of sort of name and, and brand. But but forget about that for a second. Really what it was was that Amith has this unique ability to basically convey confidence in situations when I think less lesser skilled individuals would potentially convey like defensiveness or shakiness. You couldn't really rattle him. Your best questions were met with responses that weren't BS, were logical, were rational, but also backed with sort of this unwavering kind of confidence. And I've always admired that about Amith, but truly speaking, like if I go back to the first conversation I had with him back in, it was 2012, that stood out. And you got to think about this for a second. The way that our technology works is that we basically process email for companies. And, you know, back then, you know, we were a company called Wordbotics and anyone who we pitched to was basically saying, are you serious? Is that, is that really what you're, what you're trying to do? Cause that's not going to happen. But there was just an unwavering confidence and that that's sort of absolutely that's absolutely translated into subsequent conversations with those advisors with those investors and ultimately you know with with the customers and so so that was i mean it's kind of interesting right i mean like the idea you know email signatures it seems kind of silly like email signatures really in fact even today when i talk to people about what we do they say oh wow i guess there is a niche product for everything but the fact is is that there's a massive value creation opportunity here, pain solving opportunity here for the customers that we deal with. And, and we see it more and more as we continue to scale up and work with some of the most incredible companies in the world. But yeah, I think like if, if I'm being honest, going back to 2012, it's just, I mean, idea aside, I wanted to work with this person. Like this was the type of person I wanted to learn from, to work alongside, to support, to help, and to grow alongside. And, and I think, you know, if there is anything that, you know, forget about product for a second, the ability to level up as a professional and as a human being, if that's something that can be attained by the partners that you choose in your professional career, people who've been there, who've done that, who maybe have a little bit more wisdom, it's huge because I think it's, it's humbling in that, you know, a hotshot 27-year-old sales guy at the time doesn't actually know everything and has room to grow. And so, I have experienced the direct benefits of working alongside someone over the last seven years who has not only helped to build and not just help, I mean, he's built it. You know, I've had the opportunity to, to grow as well, develop the professional skills required to go from zero to one. But then also, how do you project yourself? How do you act? How are you responding to things? I don't know. I mean, 
there's a number of scenarios I could sort of share, but, but I know that I've personally grown by having had the opportunity to work alongside Amith. And, and certainly I think there's a lot of value in sort of aligning yourself with individuals who, who have something like that, who have that wisdom to share. So I've definitely benefited from that personally. So all in all, coming out here was a good decision for you. <laughs> I, I, would so. I would say so. Yeah. It's hard to know. Say. It's hard to know, yeah. but, but so yeah. far so good. So let me yeah. ask you. So let me ask you. So you're looking at this opportunity. You've got the person and the product and the, the potential market. So, yeah. you know, the person is awesome. The product is, you know, you're trying to figure out, but the market is like unbelievable, right? Yeah. So what was the calculus like in your head about making that decision? Was it more that you just, you know, clicked with the co-founder and you went for it and you're just like, product looks okay, I don't know, whatever. Or were you just like, okay, all three of these are lining up? The calculus was simple. Like, it's something. It's an idea, right? I mean, look, if it's such an obvious idea, then presumably it, it would already be done, okay? So, so, I mean, the idea is there. There's something there. that There's the person that I want to work with. But, but honestly, it's, it's that opportunity. I mean, irrespective of what the idea is, if I had sought out an opportunity where I could have a chance to be responsible or have some ownership in taking an idea from zero to one, that's ultimately what I was looking for. I wanted a chance to build. I wanted a chance to contribute. And I think, you know, I don't know. I mean, from the beginning, it's just, just confident about it. Like, it's really tough to put my finger on. Ultimately, if I had to, to say, it's probably, it's probably the person I'm working with that bred the confidence more than anything else. But yeah, it's, it's the idea that can come in here and kind of put my money where my mouth is and be dealt nothing and try to take it from there. So I think it was, like I said, I just personal backstory. I wanted that chance. I wanted that chance to, to struggle. I wanted that chance to have a challenge. And this seemed like a legitimate sort of opportunity to do that. And like I said, man, there's just sort of this feeling like the stars align. And sometimes it feels like that happens. So when it does, you know, you just kind of got to, just kind of got to take it for what it is and, and sometimes take the leap. You go for it. Okay. So yeah. now your Vespa's parked out, out front. You still have your Vespa, <laughs> right? And, uh, uh, and, whole nother story there that let's not get <laughs> into, but uh, you got no, your, you I, got I, your I, top ramen, right? Or yeah, you got yeah, your exactly. pizza at yeah. least. Let's say you yeah, got your yeah, pizza sure. and it's you, you and the co-founder, other co-founder are in a, a WeWork in a tiny little closet. So take yeah. us from, you know, day one of walking in there to, you know, starting to get some traction. Yeah. So day one, we're actually working out of the park. Let's be honest. Okay. okay. We didn't get we didn't get the WeWork until we, we eventually we did raise some funding within the first like six months or so. Just cool. Bloomberg Beta, fantastic partners. But yeah, day one, it was I gotta be honest. So we work in email. And so I mean I was orienting myself around really understanding SMTP, which is an email protocol through which every single message that we send on a day-to-day basis goes through. And understanding the architecture of email, understanding where are the points where we can create value around email. Okay, Amit is building POCs. He's building. He's building based on this image of what our value prop is going to be, and getting bits and pieces to become functional. And I can still, I can still visualize, you know, him coding in the corner, and while I'm sitting on the couch, sort of prospecting and and you know trying to figure out who's going to let me. Basically, who's going to be our first guinea pig? And really, that was sort of the first thing. Can we create that minimum viable sort of solution, which we did? And then can we convince someone to let us integrate within their mail environment? 
this is kind of where, you know, just so important, I think, to nurture, like, be a good person, nurture relationships, and ultimately, like, you know, in time, time of need, things come around. I mean, I remember reaching out to a buddy of mine who started a talent agency based out of Miami. It was him and his buddy. They had a G Suite domain, and they actually were super jazzed about the value that we could provide around making their email signatures look super professional because they were trying to attract talent. And so, yeah, I mean, the first integration I had was Jam Entertainment, that user, Justin Davis, shout out. This was back in 2013, and they let us integrate at the time Wordbotics, SenderGen, OpenSense, or whatever you want to call it, within their environment. And sure enough, things broke. We screwed things up, you know, and, and that was kind of the idea is like, I mean, it worked, don't get me wrong, but we learned a lot. And, and that's really what I'm getting at. It's like each iteration of an implementation in the early days, when you're taking something from a dev environment and putting it into a production environment, you have to learn. And we, we still carry with us a learning mentality of, you know, just understanding what our solution looks like and how it functions within an environment. And, and we started with an environment of just two users. But even then, there was so much that we learned that then fed back into the product. You screw things up and then you fix it, okay? And so basically, it was an, a practice in kind of leveling up over and over and over and over again. And so whether it was the two-person shop this month, maybe there's a buddy of mine who can configure us a 10-person shop. And then maybe that sort of creates a referral where we get a 50-person shop. And then maybe an old sales associate of mine moves to another company based out of LA and now I have an opportunity to do a hundred person shop, which requires a whole nother suite of tools and functionality to help service a company of that size. And that's really what the early days were like, David. It was, it was not so, this is going to sound really silly because we're a business, but it wasn't so revenue focused initially. It was very much just a, an exercise in finding beta users who would be friendly and willing and understand the value enough to open up their environment to allow us to integrate and to process and to learn. And by the time we got to 100, 100 user shops, you know, we were, we were pretty proficient. And then it became more of a, a product development exercise. So what are some of the tools that are going to be required in a 100-person environment versus a two- or five-person environment? What type of APIs do we have access to within a meme? It's really learning. We have an idea of what our product is and how it might be able to deliver value. What's it actually look like, you know, until you get into the hands of the customer? And so, so that was sort of the initial push. It was certainly, there's a revenue aspect to that. But really, we, it's kind of like, you know, you don't really know what, what, what you've built until it's kind of put into production. And that was sort of one of the most exciting things is, is not only having that chance to learn about our own product, but that the chances just kind of kept presenting themselves. And so these are sort of early signals. But yeah, I think that's kind of, if I think about that era of working out of the apartment and those initial kind of months in, in, in the closet side office, sized office, very much oriented around sort of this, you know, building our use cases, building our tool, 
making it better, learning more about our market, learning more about the needs of our customers, and being very responsive to that. Most people refer to VanillaSoft as the solution. It's the solution to ensure sales reps make the right number of attempts for every lead across all channels, including email, social, and the phone. It's the solution to serve the rep the next best lead every single time. You need to get your solution at VanillaSoft.com. I love it. So this is what's so exciting about this. You know, it's software as a service, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so you can start with that MVP, get it out in the wild, have yeah. people, you know, look at it, open it up, break it, destroy it, you know, tell you yeah. what they actually want. And then you go back and, hey, you're constantly pushing out the latest version, right? Exactly. Amazing. Exactly. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. So then people start to use it. They love it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're telling their friends about it. They're obviously emailing people about it. <laughs> That's yeah. what it is. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and, then, exactly. and then you start to get some, you know, now you're going through the next stage and it's like, yeah, you probably have to hire some people, right. Or to help. And- well, to be honest, we did a lot in a very bootstrap fashion. And when I say that open sense, the story of our, of our company to date has been you know, we're, I would still say we are still in, in learning mode. And, and that's to suggest that, that we've got long ways to go. But the company, we started transitioning once we understood that we could effectively service a tier of customer. We then started layering on some of the types of activities that would ha- deliver a more predictable flow of these types of opportunities. I was an outreach user back when you could still buy a single license of outreach. So just to give you a little bit of time, this is probably back in, I don't know, 2014 or so. And I remember we developed some pretty nifty tools to help create our lists and, and basically just queued up some very basic outbound prospecting through outreach that to this date it yielded some of our largest customers to date, believe it or not. We start layering on elements of you know inbound through paid ads and things of the sort. And really it's... I mean, this is going to sound silly, but it's kind of like a take what you can get kind of mentality because we're still learning. We're, we're Even today, I think our, our product is continually being developed and, and made better. But we're kind of in this sort of phase where we realize that we're able to, to create value for our customers. Well, how much value can we create? And then, so we start getting this flow of customers through some, some really basic outbound, really generic inbound. And then the sort of really kind of interesting thing happens where all of a sudden we find ourselves in the midst of a bake-off at Salesforce. And this is sort of one of the incredible, yeah, I mean, you know, you talk about That's huge. You know, under, understanding where your business is and where your market is and how we might be uniquely positioned to serve the market. We built this sort of customer roster. And, and I think one of the other unique aspects of being in the Bay Area is just your your interaction and your being in this sort of ecosystem of, of people who are innovating and trying to move things forward. And certainly, you know, we had a, a really unique opportunity to deliver value at Salesforce. And that's where things kind of changed. I mean, I think we eventually go through it. We go through a 16 month long process with Salesforce. And, you know, I don't, I don't know how happy my, how happy Amit will be about me sharing this, but you know, that we're still a four person team at this point. Okay. There's four of us. And we go through the 16-month-long process, and there's an incumbent solution based out of Indianapolis that already has foothold there and unique relationships there. But we have a technology advantage, and we win that deal. And so that's kind of like the moment when, when things really kind of changed for us, at least from a, a mentality mindset standpoint. 
this is probably back in 2017 at this point. So basically between call it 13 and 17, there's nothing glamorous or sexy about it. Okay. Like I still remember to this date, it's 20, so 2016 when I turned 30, you know, having dinner with my now wife who, who by the way, insisted that I proposed to her before she moved out here. So hell of a saleswoman herself. But, uh, <laughs> but we're out to dinner. High fives. High fives yeah. to the wives. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're out to dinner. And I remember just thinking to myself, what the hell am I doing with my life? You know, what the hell am I doing out here? And, you know, this is, this is before everything kind of changes. And, you know, 2017 comes around and we have the Salesforce opportunity. We win it in convincing fashion. And all of a sudden, we look to the, to the right, the tallest building ever built in, in this great city. Is, is filled with users of our solution. And so that, that sort of kind of triggered some change in sort of our approach, our mindset, and, and subsequently the way that, that our company has been built since then. Nice. So what happens then? I mean, now you, mm-hmm. it's like, holy crap. I mean, yeah. did you have a holy crap moment at that time or what happened? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Yeah, look, it's, this is actually one of the funny things that I've learned in the last several years is that each step along the way, you feel this, this high. I still remember when someone paid us $500 like prepayment for a single license of, a, of one of our product sets and going out to celebrate that like that night. It's interesting, David. Like You have these moments of holy crap, but then it's very fleeting. As a business, you have to grow, right? So it's good. Have the holy crap moment, like, like be excited. But I've always found that anytime we've attained you know, whatever goal or you know, some of these holy crap moments, it's a fleeting sort of feeling and it immediately almost transitions back into, okay, what's next? So the holy crap moment lasted for a period of time, but then it's like, okay, well, now let's figure out how we're going to effectively onboard 18,000 North American users at Salesforce. Okay, let's start <laughs> game planning. And so again, you know, we did that as a, as a team of, of four people and I'll never forget it, you know, the, the weekend we spent basically 16 or 20 hours of the course of the weekend, basically provisioning 18,000 individuals at Salesforce. I mean, dude, these are the, these are the stories I'm telling you. They're not sexy. I mean, it's not sexy times. It's, it's not glamorous, but I mean, obviously huge points of pride. I'm super, super proud of that. And so, yeah, I think like from there, it starts to think about, okay, well, what do we want to do in this next phase? Like we have track record here. We have like sufficient revenues. We were sort of on the verge of being, you know, in a really good cash flow situation. And so then it's like, what are we going to do next? And so one thing leads to another. And, you know, we, we eventually raised some money. And that's when I think if you can liken it to sort of like a baby and gosh, I'm not a father. So maybe this is the wrong metaphor to use, but it's just a maturation process. You know, we, we were in our infancy and we got to sort of our, our toddler years where, you know, we're, we're standing and we're walking, but we're kind of wobbling. But then, you know, you kind of get to this point where it's like, all right, well, puberty hits and things change. And that comes with it, obviously change, but also growing pains. So yeah, I think that's, that's kind of been sort of the experience sort of since that point. But, but obviously, like, yeah, great win for us and something we were very excited about. That's amazing. And so now you've got the wind in your sails, right? And here you're like, okay, we know that we can do this. We might take all weekend to provision 18,000 people, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> next, okay, let's go, let's go get some big ones. Yeah. And oh, by the way, your early marketing efforts included sponsoring the first sales development conference, 
where right. I met you and your team, which was awesome. So that Absolutely. hopefully that brought brought you some early wins I, as well. <laughs> I know I know I know the customers, okay, plural that we got from that particular Nice. <laughs> and that was at the Ritz Carlton in, in San Francisco. Now we're down the hill at the Hyatt now, but it's a bigger space and mm-hmm. more more room to grow. So we'll get you guys back this year. But okay. Awesome. So dude, we yeah. got Salesforce. We're rolling now. What's next? What are we going to do? How are we going to take on those guys from Indianapolis? Because I know about those guys. They're dangerous, right? So what are we going to do about that? Well, I mean, <laughs> to be quite honest. Not naming any names. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think it's, it's kind of an interesting case study because we were not a known brand back then. In fact, we were still called Sendergen at that point. So it's, I think it's kind of a testament to... Ultimately, David, I'm a huge believer in value creation, right? Either you're creating value for your customer or you're solving pain. And ultimately, the reason we win deals, period, whether it's against Indianapolis or UK or whomever, it's because we create value in a way that is, that's different and tangibly different and measurable. And so really, it became a matter of we needed to start building internally our infrastructure from a headcount standpoint, from a process standpoint, for, it to be considered, for us to be considered the dangerous player. I mean, ultimately, if you think about it first for a second, you know, they had a foothold in that company and they lost the deal to an unknown company based out of San Francisco. So ultimately, we're, we're kind of the dangerous player. So it's now, now it's time for us to level up. And so, so whether it was marketing efforts, sales efforts, really, we raised a little bit of money, hired our first sort of, I say external hire, but like, you know, there was the four of us for a number of years. And then January 18, we make our first sort of external sales hire because frankly, everything kind of customer oriented, I was sort of managing myself. So I needed another me and I was fortunate enough to be able to find someone that was kind of like that, but, but ultimately continuing to scale out the team process, right? Like so much of our selling in the past had been, again, taking whatever we can get and just moving things through. And, and there wasn't sort of like this hugely regimented process because ultimately you do things at that point that don't scale. This sort of famously quoted by, I forget who, but you do things that don't necessarily scale. We needed to get to a point where we could scale, right? We raised some money. We have this huge market opportunity. We have a fantastic win in our sales and we're getting inbound interest. You know, that's the other thing that's so fascinating about this whole thing is that as the years went on, the market started developing more and more solutions, more and more companies were moving their email environments to the cloud. There was more opportunities to leverage existing data, whether it's in your CRM or marketing automation platform to push content through a channel that, you know, we're learning more and more is incredibly underutilized and super effective at driving engagement. So we're seeing this sort of influx of inbound opportunities. And really the growing pain around this was just sort of how do we sort of processize this? Because it just wasn't something that I personally had, had really focused on. It was really just doing whatever it took for a period of time. And that was like, well, okay, cool. We're, we're going to get into our, our terrible twos now. All right. We got to start building some rules, some processes, some flows, some reporting, just basic ways that we do business. And so that was kind of instrumental. And then it's, it's just cool. I mean, like you start getting, you start understanding your channel, you start understanding what type of customer segments you can rely upon being driven through particular channels. And you start sort of modifying process to be able to effectively facilitate them. And so that's really kind of where we've been. We've been in this sort of growth mode where it's higher as necessary. We're not, we're not doing the thing where you raise a bunch of money and you just go out there and you, you do the playbook. And the reason is because if, if there's a damn playbook, then everybody should be following and every company should be successful, right? We wanted to be very regimented about our approach and, and be very sort of 
like cognizant of every dollar we're spending and sort of what we're getting in, re in result with all of the, like ultimately the focus still remaining sort of on the product. But, you know, ultimately grow sales, grow customer success, begin scaling on our marketing side, doing some more stuff on the content side, starting to sponsor more events, just get the brand known a little bit. We took our check from Salesforce and basically reinvested it into a booth at, at Dreamforce, you know, that first time. But that's sort it of, back to him. <laughs> uh, some of it, yeah. Uh, but, but, but certainly, you know, just sort of building the brand. But, I yeah. mean... It's just leveling up and, yeah. and, and changing behavior, changing, changing your process. And, and, and I think that's so important too. It's like, you know, I've had this title VP of sales since 2013, back when it was even just the two of us, which is kind of silly. But there comes a point when you really need to kind of like level up and understand that you need to sort of establish these, these ways of doing business that coincide with the ability to, to effectively and predictably scale the business. And so that's been something that's personally been a part of this challenge is growth, not just from a personal standpoint, but from a professional standpoint, making sure that, you know, we're, we're kind of staying on top of things and, and learning best practices, implementing best practices to help facilitate the growth that, that we're kind of experiencing right now. The challenge is never ending because just a few years ago, you were working for a company where a lot of that stuff was probably already worked out, or yeah. at least they had some sort of infrastructure. Now, fast forward a few years, now it's up to you, man. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's something, I mean, it really is. And actually, since you mentioned it like that, really what I've understood is that a lot of the job now is identifying problems and then fixing those problems. You fix those problems, a new set of problems are now identified. <laughs> and you fix those problems. And honestly, I mean, like, yeah, there's sort of a macro view of it all, but that's kind of what happens. You know, where are leaks? Plug them up. Where's the next leak screen? Plug that one up. That's kind of like this approach here. It's, you know, you can, if you really kind of dig in deep and understand what your problems are, then, and you have confidence in the people around you and, and their ability to kind of create solutions to help solve them. It's, it's a fantastic position to be in, one we feel very fortunate to be in right now. Identifying those issues, bringing them out, solving them, and then waiting for the next one to come up. Exactly. <laughs> it's inevitable. It, right? inevitable absolutely and it's interesting too with the with the product from a product perspective because you have it out in the wild now people are using it they're using it they're abusing it you're getting all that data and then you can then create a new product that is even better for them that's i mean that's really kind of where we are at now it's yeah. it's you know what it it's been this sort of trudge up market okay and along the way creating a satisfactory product that can serve the needs and create value for whether it's SMB, mid-market, and now sort of the enterprise. But I think ultimately, David, what sort of is so exciting about all of this is we are at our core a technology company. We have multiple patents around our solution and our offering. And so when we are presented with opportunities and challenges to deliver and create value for, for the enterprise, that is one of the most exciting things to us because we can then create product offerings and solutions that meet the needs of the enterprise. And guess what? If we're meeting the need of this particular enterprise, I can guarantee you there are a thousand others that will have similar needs that we can eventually service in the future. So yeah, I think that's a great, that's a great point from your perspective that the product is ever evolving, but it, it's all about creating value. We have bells and whistles. Gosh, when I go through demos now, I'll even call them out and say, hey, look, this is a cool bell and whistle. Haven't had a lot of traction with it, but 
I'll show it to you anyways. But here are the things that our customers really care about. Here are the things that are really sort of delivering value for you know, the sales forces of the world, the Adobe's of the world, the Qualtrics of the world, so on and so forth. And that's what's, what's exciting. It's creating real value. And as a technology company that's innovating, it's like a horizon that's just sort of lighting up. It's like the sun is just rising, right? And it's kind of like that line from Lion King, you know, everything that the sun touches is yours. We're just sort of understanding what that terrain looks like. And from our perspective, it's looking pretty darn green. So it's amazing. Yeah. I mean, because if you think about it, everyone in the world has email. <laughs> everyone uses That's email. Yeah. The email's not going anywhere. If you've tried to use Slack and communicate, you know that email is not going anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> you know, so I mean, literally, the world is your oyster there. So, well, that's the hope. I mean, you know, there is an element of humility. I think that's so important as well. And yeah. you know, there's obviously the excitement around what we're doing. There's also sort of the, the real humility, which is, look, dude, everything could change tomorrow. Let's be honest. I mean, the markets can be fickle at times. And, but I think that's just an important thing to kind of remember in the back of your head. And I think a part of that also is coming back to that idea of opportunity, which we sort of started with. It's just to be grateful every day for this. You know, it's, it's been a journey. And, you know, I still remember fondly those days that it was just, you know, two of us in a closet side office. You know, now we have a nice office, right? That's great. But I think it's just important to remember that like, this is an opportunity that I'm so grateful to have every single day. And there's no letting up because there's no not taking advantage of this opportunity. And I think that's, it's an element of humility. I think it's so important, like really treat it with respect, treat this opportunity with respect because you know, it's not, tomorrow's not a promise a bit for the business for myself personally. Like it's really every day, just appreciate it. And, and that's certainly something that I've lived with as well. I love it. I love that philosophy, man. That's, that's amazing. And, you know, I think, you know, people listening to this, like you've got a lot of thoughts, you know, you got a lot of thinking to do. If you're in your comfort zone and you're, everything's going great, but you've always dreamed about going the entrepreneurial route, you know, Bobby's been there. So, you know, learn these lessons, think about it. And if you've got that attitude, maybe it's the right fit. So we'll see what, <laughs> we'll see if we, <laughs> we, we inspire anyone from our conversation. That sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Bobby. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Where can we learn more? Obviously, OpenSense over at the website, but where can we connect with you and learn more about what you're doing and stay in touch? Yeah, cool. Well, obviously, great place to start the website, OpenSense.com. If you want to reach out to me or connect with me personally, LinkedIn. I think my username is Bobby.Narang, if I'm not mistaken. If it isn't, I'll send you those details. But but yeah, LinkedIn is generally a good place to connect. Happy to connect by email. It's bobby.narang at opensense.com. But yeah, happy to, to serve as a resource in any capacity to anyone who might be interested. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. Thanks so much. And we'll see you again soon on the Sales Development Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.